Hello and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-reorg in the European and senior markets. It's Tuesday, May the 10th. I'm Richard Woolley. And I am Giulia Rusconi. Coming up this week, Shinda Shu will give us an update on German real estate group Core Estate, which is facing a significant maturity world in the next couple of years and is evaluating refinancing options. Geran Dillon will talk about Norwegian stressed seismic exploration group BGS, its capital raise and potential restructuring options. Meanwhile, I'll be talking to Magnus Sherman about Moldovan commodities exporter Transoil. But first, I caught up with Rob Schack for an update on the latest high-yield bond and leverage loan issuances. Hi Rob, thanks for joining us. So, uh, primary markets have technically reopened, but deal flow is still very light. Um, what are the conditions like this week? Hi Richard. It's still very, very tough. And uh, yesterday's massive sell-off in, in equities um, certainly didn't help uh, um, uh, calm investors' freight nerves. It's been particularly tough in the bond market, um, which has been reflected in the steep OIDs that uh, bond issuers have had to um, stomach in the last few weeks. Um, and that's pretty much been driven by the continuous outflows, which is, um, I think there's been about four, um, four weeks of outflows in a row in the, in the high yield market. Um, as a result, it wasn't a huge surprise to see that Europe Car pulled its proposed 150 million mirror note uh, today. Um, and of course, they cited significant, uh, a significant deterioration in market conditions. That said, we still have one uh, bond in the market, which is pretty interesting. It's the 850 million senior secured La Liga bond, um, offering both uh, fixed rate and um, floating rate tranches. It's obviously going to be very tough to place the fixed um, rate tranche, so I'd imagine it's going to be um, pretty much mostly, if not all, uh, um, going to come as a floater um, if it does come. But it's a pretty interesting deal, quite an unusual structure and unusual asset um, in, in, in that it's backed by an 8.2% um, share of the um, t- television rights of the, the Spanish Football League. Okay, and the loan market seems to be doing a little bit better. Why is that? Yes, that's right. So unlike in high yield, which has uh, been facing continuous outflows recently, the CLO market is still going pretty strong um, and we're still seeing new CLOs getting printed, which is obviously propping up demand for loans. So we currently have Work Zone Safety Group in the market, with uh, um, which remains on course to print its 100 million term loan add-on. Um, although it does look like it's going to have to come with a significant OID of 95 um, from 97 to 97 and a half initially, which uh, is one of the widest um, OIDs we've seen in the loan, if not the widest OID that we've seen in the loan market recently. Um, and then the other deal that's still um, marketing is Opti Group, which is debut issuer, um, and it's um, in the market with a 515 million seven-year term loan to back its buyout by Audion. So it's going to be also pretty interesting to see how that deal does. Great. Thanks, Rob. Interesting stuff. Since Rob and I spoke, Workzone Safety has indeed priced its TLB add-on at 95, with a Euribor plus 3.75% margin. The latest edition of our Ukraine Invasion Impact Tracker was published on May the 5th. The tracker pulls together the most recent intel on all of the credits we follow that have been materially affected by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and includes links where available to their capital structures. Magnus Sherman is the editor responsible for our Ukraine coverage, and the last couple of weeks he's joined me to discuss Russia's sovereign bond issues. Um, This week we're going to turn our attention to the Black Sea and the Russian military bombardment there. Um, How has that been affecting the credits that we follow? Yeah, I think um, here, you know, first of all, I think it's important to note that it's a problem for most of the large Ukrainian companies. A lot of them use the the Black Sea to ship uh, their goods out of the country and onto Europe and, and the Middle East. 
Um, three companies I wanted to pick up on today. One is Kernel. It's a grain and sunflower seed producer and crusher. Um, MHP, they also pro uh, produce grains and poultry as well. And then Transoil in Moldova, we'll come to that. Um, first of all, MHP and, and Kernel are stuck in a very difficult situation. MHP, uh, they have the the one benefit they have is that they can use the grain they produce and these are enormous volumes um, internally to feed the chickens and then let the chickens grow and then eventually sell the chickens uh, to Europe and these can then be uh, shipped on uh, trucks um, but there's added cost to trucks uh, you can have less there's a lower capacity and it takes longer and longer to um, to make the goods go to Europe and back again. So that's an issue for, for MHP. Kernel in a even tighter spot, I would, I would say, because they produce primarily grain and sunflower seeds, and, and this is just too heavy and too large volumes to put on a truck to, um, to Europe. So, um, so at the moment, they are seeking alternative routes, and um, this is where Transoil comes into the picture. Transoil is not a Ukrainian company. It's, it's based in Moldova, on uh, neighboring on the west. Um, they are primarily in the business of uh, transporting and sourcing uh, exactly these sorts of goods. Um, they've had issues, though, uh, because of the, the, the new risks posed by, by Russia. But importantly, their Ukrainian port, which is in Reni, in the southwestern corner of, of Ukraine, is not on the Black sea coast it's on the danube river and so that allows them to use that river which is one of the largest in europe to uh, send the the products upstream and well i don't know if it's upstream but upriver and um the uh, and the, the produce can then um uh, reach their, their end users in in europe um and Transoil recently uh, sent out a, an operational update and they're actually saying that they are seeing record numbers. And in March, the rainy port uh, was operating at uh, more than 100% um, capacity, which I'm interested in knowing how, how that works. Um, but they also, see, they also say that, uh, that they're working with Ukrainian agricultural producers. So, so these could be um, Kernel and MHP on producing uh, on, on, on setting up new uh, logistical uh, solutions for them. That could include, and they have set, they've told us already that this includes uh, sending barges up the river into Romania and then on from Romania to, uh, to the EU. Um, but despite these sort of, uh, so there, there are some risk, of course, but there's also some, um, some benefits to, to Transoil, as we just discussed. Transol's bond, bonds have uh, have dropped pretty sharply. They are now in the low 70s. So this is one uh, I think a lot of people are, are watching. Thanks a lot, Magnus. German real estate manager Corestate has just published its first quarter results. The company has been on Reorg's radar for some months now, as it is facing 500 million maturities in 2022 and 2023, and there are doubts it would be able to refinance. Shinda, you have done a very deep analysis on Core State. Could you please tell us what's the latest? Hey, Julia, yes. As you said, Core State has two upcoming maturities a 200 million unsecured convertible bond due in November this year, and 300 million unsecured straight bond due in April next year. The straight bond is now trading in the high 40s. 
On the call this morning, the group said its cash conversion plan is delayed due to the difficult market environment, and it withdrew its 2022 outlook. The sale agreement of one of its main asset, Gizen, was also cancelled, and the group has now relaunched the process. Given the delay in the cash conversion plan, the group would have to restructure its debt. Hold on, what's the cash conversion plan about? Well, the cash conversion plan was put in place by the group to get cash proceeds, mainly from the disposal of German real estate property Gießen, the repayment of its bridge loan lending, contract assets, and trade receivables, which have been delayed multiple times. So what does your analysis suggest, and what are the options for core estate? Well, management said on a call today that they are reviewing all options, including a maturity extension, capital raise, and debt for equity swap. So far, it remains unclear if the new shareholders will be willing to put in equity. Our analysis shows that the group's unsecured debt is covered at about 52% based under an assumed liquidation scenario. It is worth noting, however, that most of the assets on balance sheet are illiquid, and monetizing them will be a long, lengthy process. And who holds the bonds? Have bondholders hired any advisors? About half of these straight bonds are held by PIMCO, which also holds a quarter of the convertible bonds. Bondholders are working with Milbank and Holyhand Loki for the upcoming debt negotiations. Interesting. Thanks for sharing, Shenda. PGS is a seismic exploration group based in Norway, which has underperformed significantly in recent years due to a decline in demand for seismic data. The company announced private placements last week to raise around 100 million in new equity, and it's also planning to raise 50 million in super senior debt to fund upcoming amortization payments. Garen, could you tell us what's at stake for the company? Hi, Julia. That's correct. PGS have 538 million in amortizations due over the next two years, and the new capital they're raising will be sufficient to address the amortizations this year, which total $163 million. Now, PGS have completed the book building process for one equity private placement so far, and so that will raise around $85 million. And they're also considering a subsequent offering, which should raise around another $15 million in equity. It's worth noting that completion of the first private placement is contingent on the group also raising $50 million in additional senior secured debt. Could you give us some background on the cause of stress and why PGS needs a capital raise? Yes, so PGS generates revenue mainly through the sale of seismic data to oil and gas companies. And so that enables oil and gas companies to assess hydrocarbon potential in a given geography. Now, the business has struggled quite a lot over the last decade or so, as you've said. Revenue has roughly halved from 2014 to 2021, and that's because oil and gas companies have been reducing their exploration and production spend for ESG reasons and also because of pressure from investors. And so the business decline has called into question the sustainability of the current capital structure. Coming back to the current capital raise, it sounds to me like a short-term solution to cover amortization payments of this year only. How do you think the company will deal with the next amortization wall? Well, sources have told us that the lender group is open to giving shareholders time to work out a plan. And if the business improves, there is potential for an equity-led solution. And that seems to be the path that the group is taking. 
As I mentioned earlier, the reason that revenue has halved over the past decade is because of this reduction in global exploration and production spend. But the outlook for the seismic data acquisition market has turned around quite significantly in recent months, and it's this turnaround that is supporting the capital raises. So one of the main reasons for this turnaround is the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and that has led to renewed focus on exploration spending in Western countries as they look to establish energy security and shift away from historical reliance on Russian oil and gas. So because of this, PGS have said they're experiencing renewed demand, which has led to a fully booked summer for 2022 and a recent uptick in the order book. On top of that, the group is optimistic around its new energy business, which is focused mainly on carbon capture and storage, and PGS expects to at least double revenue from this business segment in 2022. So if the business recovers over the next year or so, the group would potentially have the option to either extend the $375 million of amortizations due in 2023, or it could look to refinance its outstanding term loan. Which of the two options do you see being more likely out of the amend and extend and the refinancing? Well, at the moment, either option is a possibility, but an A&E would essentially be a repeat of the last restructuring PGS went through in 2021, where the company used a scheme of arrangement to execute an A&E to give the seismic market more time to recover before amortizations were due. And as the company is potentially looking at another restructuring, it's quite clear that the last extension wasn't long enough for the seismic market to recover, and so some creditors may be reluctant to grant another extension. Having said that, from the group's first quarter results, it's quite clear that the seismic market is returning to growth, and that is likely to put creditors' minds at ease. Well, we'll see how it plays out. Thanks, Garen. Reorg's analysis on PGS and Core Estate can be found on Reorg's website and will continue to follow the company's developments. Over the last few years, there have been four large national interest insolvency cases which have gone into compulsory liquidation with the official receiver and special managers appointed. In our latest webinar, panellists Giles Boothman and Inga West of Ashurst, Justin Dion from the Insolvency Service and Alan Bloom of EY, will join Reorg's Head of Legal Restructuring, Innovation and Initiatives in London, Shan Qureshi, to discuss whether compulsory liquidation is fit for purpose in these big, complicated national interest cases, and will examine the factors pushing these cases into public sector insolvencies rather than private administration. Join us for the webinar tomorrow, May 11th at 3pm London time. More information on all of the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available as ever on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Real Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.